In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. Nika Anani is our guest today on Money Tales. At nine years old, she went to the UK with her mom and brothers for what she was told was a summer vacation, but they never left. Her dad stayed behind in Lagos, Nigeria to run the family business. It wasn't until she was in her 20s that she learned that the business was extremely successful. Her parents' intentions of not sharing the scope of the business were good. They wanted their children to be focused, hardworking, and self-motivated. However, as Nike explains, she didn't grow up in a wealthy culture and found herself not knowing how to navigate life as a wealthy person. Today, Nika is an international award-winning entrepreneur, succession specialist, and a legacy planning expert for future-focused business families. She is on a mission to help businesses move from lifetime to legacy so that they build family enterprises of the future. Nika is the co-founder of African Family Firms, a pan-African association of family businesses that is focused on promoting generational wealth and generational legacies on the African continent. She's also an author and host of the Connected Generation podcast. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key Money Tales conversation topics Nika hits on in this conversation. First, what she learned living as an outsider in the UK and how she has leveraged these to become her strengths. Second, what it was like to navigate wealth as a young adult. And third, the challenges inheritors face when dating. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe to Money Tales. At the end of this interview, Cami and I will discuss some planning considerations for families who own a business enterprise together. Now, on to our conversation with Nika Anani. Hello, Money Tales listeners. This is Cami, and I'm here with my co-host, Sandy. Hey, Cami. I was at a board retreat recently for a nonprofit board that I sit on. We went through a belonging workshop. We're trying to do better as a board for creating a culture of diversity, inclusion, and belonging. As I was participating in this workshop, my mind was venturing away from the topic at hand related to the board. So if any of my fellow board members are listening, please forgive me. It was taking me to the work that we do with our clients. We work with a lot of clients and their families. And this notion of belonging within a family is so important. And some of the flavors I captured of this belonging is a feeling of I matter, I'm part of it, I'm committed, I trust, and I'm proud. 
I've been thinking about ways families can embrace one another and truly welcome each other in, whether it's a blood relative who might behave or act or have different values than the rest of the pack, whether it's a married-in relative or someone related to them. When I've worked with families where everyone feels like they're a part of the clan and a part of the conversation, truly magical things happen. I've got a lot out of that workshop and it was fun to think about diversity, inclusion, and belonging in a new context for me. I hadn't really thought about it there before. What I think about with families is they are complicated. So every effort we can make on this belonging idea is so important. What a perfect way to introduce our next guest who might have some thoughts on belonging within families. Welcome Nika Anani to the Money Tales podcast. Thank you, Cami. Thank you, Sandy. It's awesome to be here. Would you please introduce yourself and share two to three pivotal moments that impacted you, influencing the person you are today? I am co-founder of African Family Firms, a nonprofit community of business owners across the African continent seeking to build generational businesses and generational wealth. I am a second-gen business owner myself. Our family enterprise is in Lagos, Nigeria, in the construction space, and I founded our family office and ran it for a decade. Pivotal moments in my life, they all have the same theme. I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, and at the age of nine, my parents decided that for our education, myself, my brothers, and my mom would move to the UK. And this decision was taken really quickly. It was actually a bit of a covert operation in the sense that we were told we were going on summer vacation to the UK, which was normal. And you stayed. Yeah. And then we're like, when are we going back home? You're not. Oh. (laughs) What did that feel like? It wasn't scary. I wasn't angry. I wasn't confused. I was just a bit like, oh, okay. What about school? Yeah. We've registered you in this school. What about friends and family? You visit Nigeria from time to time, or they'll come and visit you. From the age of nine, I started navigating this duality, the world in my home and the world outside of my home. The cultures were so different and feeling like I didn't belong anywhere, which is what you were talking about, Sandy. To be honest, I think it's been to my advantage in the sense that I don't necessarily seek out to be part of the fold to operate. I've learned firstly commonalities between myself and people that don't look like me and how to foster and build bridges with such people and how to self-motivate and to provide inner sense of security to myself in spaces where I don't feel comfortable. Those are the skills of superstars and so critical in life. Obviously, we didn't move on the 1st of August and on the 30th of August, I developed these skills. Life is a journey. It's like riding a bicycle and you perfect it. The more you put in your reps, the better you get and the more effortless it seems. But the first time you do it, you fall. You feel like a fool. You've got pain. But the more reps you put in, the more you don't have to think about it. And it just becomes second nature. That's a really good analogy. I was probably in my 20s that I started to understand that these were the skills I developed not necessarily being fearful of not being in my comfort zone. From the age of nine, I wasn't in my comfort zone. My parents didn't understand what I was going through. My friends in school didn't understand what I was going through. Another one is same kind of theme. 
I went to university in London and I studied economics. I started my career in accountancy and interesting that I chose that path because all the personality tests I've done indicate that what in the world. It's really funny. I have a coach and we did a personality test just the other day and she was trying to reverse engineer my life. She's like, how did you get here? How did you get to accountancy? I was like, I really don't know. I obviously didn't take a single assessment. I wasn't mentored or guided. And I just thought what would be befitting of someone of my status, not to let down my family of immigrant background who had made so many sacrifices to see that. Because my parents were separated not in a relationship where I mean literally physically separated to keep the family and the business going so dad stayed back in Lagos and built the business mom was with us in the UK to ensure that we were fine there was a lot of financial sacrifice my mom all her siblings were back in Lagos it was tough emotionally I felt a sense of this must be worth it for them and in my mind I thought there were only like five different career options that would be worth it for them a lawyer, a doctor, an engineer, an accountant, or a banker. Through a process of elimination, I ended up at accountancy because I thought I'd have the best work-life balance. Before we go there, tell us more about how you were reacting to the money situation you were in and whether or not your parents were speaking to you and your siblings about it. Like I said, my dad was back in Lagos and Nigeria building out the family business. I don't really have many memories of the business. I remember that the office was just down the road from the house, but I couldn't describe to you what the business was, its size. It just seemed like a nondescript small business that put food on the table. And then we moved to the UK and obviously distanced away from the activities of the business. And so we lived a middle-class life. We grew up in a nice neighborhood, but nothing too flashy, had a couple of cars and we went to a private school, but not ridiculously expensive. So I thought I was just a normal person. We were quite humble. My parents put me on an allowance, but nothing flashy or anything. I just lived a normal life. It didn't become apparent to me the wealth of the family until I moved to Nigeria, which is where I was just getting to. And that I got to accountancy and it was extremely boring for me. And I decided, called my dad and I was like, you know what? I need to take some time off to discover what I want to do with my life. I'd love to come to Nigeria for just three months to really understand these businesses you keep talking about and to get a different perspective. And maybe that would inspire me. To cut a long story short, that was my slam dunk into the world of family enterprise. And I spent 10 years there. Three months of 10 years, another huge transition that shaped who I am today. But it was then that it became apparent, oh God, we're not normal. It was a huge construction business with 3,000 members of staff. It felt like the secrecy of it, there was something to hide. The fact that my parents never explicitly explained to myself and my brothers that this is the business we own, this is its scope, these are its activities, this is how much we own as a family. I remember having a conversation with them. They kept saying they wanted to keep us grounded and didn't want the money to taint us and for us to be focused on hardworking and self-motivated, which was great. They achieved that. But the flip side of that, the message was it's to be kept a secret. It's a source of shame almost. Then it was me reckoning with, well, who am I? And what does wealth mean with respect to who I am in the sense that I never navigated being a wealthy person, never grew up in a wealthy culture. What does that mean? Are there spaces and places I should be in that I'm not? Are there things I should be saying? Are there clothes I should be wearing? Analogous to the feeling I said of the world inside my home when I moved to the UK was different from the world outside of it. I didn't know where I belonged socially. How did you navigate that? 
distancing from people. It was weird because I didn't know the extent of the wealth and things, but Nigeria is a very close-knit, small community. Everyone else did. I would walk around and they would say, you are so-and-so's daughter and he's so accomplished, he's so this, he's so that. People would approach me to get access to certain people, things, resources, and that made me feel very uncomfortable. wanted to hide because I didn't know whether people were approaching me, trying to befriend me because of me or what they thought I represented and the access that I potentially possibly had and the ease that was projected onto me, opulence that was projected onto me without understanding the burdens, the pains, the confusion. So it was a very lonely time. Where were your siblings? Were they still in the UK? They were still in the UK. And did they have any idea of what was going on at this point or was it just you? When I started getting involved and that was when I decided to set up the family office and then obviously we became a lot more structured as a family, started having more open conversations. From my parents' perspective, they felt we had to come to a certain age to be mature enough for them to start having conversations with us on this. I get it, but I think the distance added a factor that they didn't take into consideration. Had it been we lived in Nigeria and they didn't decide to spoil us or didn't decide to show us certain things, it would have been different because we would have heard through other people. We would have seen certain things. We would have seen the office that would have prompted us as indicators of we're not middle class. That was pivotal for me. I bet. (laughs) Tell us about your inspiration to set up a family office, which sounds like it was a big catalyst to having important family money conversations? The inspiration was I moved back and like I said, started working the enterprise and it was a season of learning and being immersed into a world that I didn't really know of. I remember working at Deloitte and we had a number of family businesses as clients and a couple of them were like 14th generation. I was like, well, how can we ensure that we're building something like that? We not only had operating businesses, we had investments. I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine who used to work in JP Morgan. I was like, I need to make sense of all this madness and just have like a coherent structure that has oversight over everything, like a helicopter view over everything. And not only deals with operational strategic matters in the operating businesses, but also deals with wealth planning. And he was like, what you're describing is a family office. I was like, what is that? (laughs) And that began my journey into that world. I'm an innovator. I love creating. So it was the perfect escapism and made the transition to Nigeria worth it. It gave me purpose in that season. Like I said, it was quite a lonely season socially, but it gave me a project to work on and a challenge, which I love. That was it. I would read all the time about this, listen to podcasts, attended a couple of events, like trainings in the US and the UK, then decided to set up the family office, had a couple of conversations with my dad, and he was fully in support because all the things I wanted to do were all the things he hated. If you think about your typical entrepreneur that just wants to be where the action's at, not the structuring and not the estate planning and not dealing with bankers, lawyers, and accountants who are bureaucratic in their opinion and wasting their time and money. But I had that skill set. It involved traveling to London a few times and I love to go back to London because that's where all my friends were. I had worked in corporate and I had that skill set. It gave me the perfect project to immerse myself in, in a season where I felt very alone. 
Tell us about that conversation with your dad. You said he was thrilled that you were willing to take on this work and he gave you the runway to do that. But do you recall, were you concerned about having the conversation with him originally because he and your mom had been keeping you out of the loop for so long? What was that like? My parents, there's no in-between with them. They're either all the way off the Richter or the other side not having conversations. And then suddenly you've got access to all my emails. I'm adding you to all the bank accounts. It was super open. Had that openness not been there, I would be very nervous about that conversation. But because the openness was there and there was a willingness to collaborate and have my input, it was like, how can I add value? And I think this is what will add value. And it wasn't just with the family office. It was also in the family business, bringing on board technology, hiring key people, standardizing processes, becoming ISO certified. There were a number of things that I spearheaded, but it was in an environment of, we welcome you. We welcome your ideas. We welcome your your thoughts. Not to say that all my ideas were implemented for sure, but I don't remember that conversation being awkward. One of my first tasks was to sort out the wills for my parents. It was normal, like sort out the trusts, the foundations, It was never awkward. I think they just thought at the age that we were growing up, we were not ready to have such conversations. Once you were ready, they were willing to dive right in with you. They were an open book. There was never ambiguity about anything. There was never a question that I would ask that would be met with secrecy, complete open book. It was just, well, if you need to get this done, I'm just going to give you the passwords to my email account and you look for it and you sort it out yourself. And these are all the files and you just go in that room and you look for them yourself. You deal with this trustee, you deal with this lawyer. They're like, good riddance, go deal. Yeah, they're like so happy. (laughs) They're just like, good grief. Where's this girl been all our lives? (laughs) So you get in there, you're creative, you're collaborating, you're building new systems. You're starting to forge more conversation about the family wealth and the family business with the family. How did you bring the rest of the family into the fold? How did you make sure everybody was belonging to go back to that concept? So my mom's never really been interested in business and wealth, but we would have conversations, the three of us, because we lived together in Nigeria. My brothers were in the UK. She would sit and nod, but really couldn't care less about it. My brothers would visit Lagos Christmas and summers, and we would have a family meeting just to update on the key investments, what's going on. I can't remember the first conversation and how that was done. Honestly, I would attribute it probably to my dad. When I was in Deloitte, he started sending emails, updates on investments, like, guys, we invested in this. Here's a summary. Have a read. That sowed the seed. He did that with each of us. So when we would come together, we would naturally have a conversation. Well, how's this business doing? How's that doing? Should we think about doing this? thinking more strategically because now I'd come in as like this entrepreneur and set up systems and processes. They could have more data to support dad's answers and things like that. It made it easier to have structure surrounding family wealth conversations. Definitely wasn't all me. (laughs) When did you move out of the period of being isolated and lonely in this wealthy environment you found yourself in? That was the inner work. It was really around the same time I moved out of the period of being lonely as a female, as a person of color, getting comfortable with my identity. That was really inner work. 
honestly, probably four years ago, and it's still a work in progress. Fully owning who I am unapologetically and not feeling to dim my light because for whatever reason, people have an expectation of me, whether positive or negative, but being true to me, not carrying back or playing small or being humble falsely, like false humility, but just being me and being oriented towards my mission and just being laser focused on that. It wasn't easy. And then starting to build trust in people rather than assuming that because of who I was, they were out to get me, so to speak, or this narrative that I couldn't form meaningful, productive relationships because I was so-and-so's daughter. I had to really counter that and challenge that. This feeling you had is common. It's the wealth dilemma. And in your current role as a family business consultant, what do you see and how do you coach your clients having these feelings to work through this? This is the million dollar question. They all have it. <laughs> and most of my clients are females in their 30s or early 40s. Most of them are single. Usually how it shows up is how do I date being an inheritor? How much of myself do I disclose to people that I'm dating? Will they want me for me? Or will they want me for the money? Or will they be inspired by my parents' success or be intimidated by my parents' success? Friends as well. And they usually are quite lonely and the romantic side of their life is often an area that they're really concerned about. It's a difficult one. It's getting super clear on values. It's what I tell them about their personal values, what they stand for. This wealth dilemma can make us so entrenched and soaked in fears, living a fearful life as opposed to seeking abundance and not necessarily in the material sense, but peace and joy and love and warmth. Not I'm fearful that he will do X. So what kind of a life do I want to be living? What kind of a person do I want as a support what behaviors will accompany those values? And then what should I be looking for? Another thing as women we need to counter is we're not on the receiving end. You are fully in control of your life. But there seems to be this narrative of you're the damsel in distress and you're waiting and whomever comes to you, you have to accept. No, that's absolute BS. Smash all those old stories and tell new ones. Yeah, I do believe we are in control. We're in more control than we seem to think. And I do share my personal journey in that regard as well. I think that's the power. I think the power in telling your story that makes it more normal. And then the work you're doing around articulating the values with them, that would be very empowering because now they've got resources and tools and examples through you and others. Yeah, for sure. A lot of them feel they have to hide their wealth to then have a productive, normal, romantic relationship. And that's a fallacy. Before I left the UK, I was in a relationship where I was an open book. The three-month period, that trial period, I was still going back to London. The reason why I wanted a three-month thing was I was in a relationship with this guy. The real story comes out. <laughs> the real story comes out, girl. Yeah, let's grab the tea. I thought we were going to settle down together. And I wanted to go to Nigeria for three months and then come back to London. I think I planned to go traveling in the far east with a couple of friends for six months and then go to business school for two years, London business school. It just didn't work out because he literally took advantage of my financial situation. 
When I stopped working at Deloitte, it was a career break. My parents started supporting me financially. They gave me a huge lump sum, like a lump sum to sort me out for the year. And I remember I disclosed that. And unfortunately, he took advantage. And as people, like, it takes you a while to wake up and smell the coffee. You're still telling yourself all these stories like, yeah, yeah, he's a great guy. You know, he's just blah, blah, blah. It took me till I was back in Lagos to wake up and be like, hold up. This is not normal. This is not love. He's literally just buttering you up for your money. So I had to end that relationship. I often share that story with my clients that the secrecy or the openness is not the determinant of the success of the relationship. It's the person. It's their values. It's their character. It's the alignment. A lot of them think they have to marry up for someone of the same kind of status as them. And that's no determinant of the success of the relationship. It's literally the character of the person. So we workshop who are you as Nikia and who does Nikia need and want? And be unapologetic about it because a lot of us come into relationships with whether it's daddy issues or mummy issues, abandonment issues. Like I said, being the damsel in distress and just being content with whatever you get because the clock is ticking. As a woman, we're reminded all the time, explicitly or implicitly, but I strongly believe we are fully in control. We just have to take that control back. Cheers to that. Great message. What I heard in that story is that the wealth dilemma isn't something that's conjured up out of nowhere in someone's head, that experiences have created this questioning environment. You need to break through that and come up with, again, your strength, own that power, and know the right person you're looking for, and don't be fearful. Indeed. I think society in general has parameters by which we're supposed to operate because you're a person of X, you're a person of Y, and those are just so limiting. Like as a woman, you're supposed to do this. As a person of color, you're supposed to place more. Or as a person of wealth, you're supposed to do this. And I think that is the heart of the issue is people feeling constrained and living in a cage and seeing, I don't have many options. As a woman, I'm supposed to marry up. But guess what? I'm from like the top 0.1% in my country. And there are not many men that have more than me. And so the ones that are coming, they're lower down than me. And do I just make do with whoever is coming my way? Heck no. I'm so glad you shared your story because Things are in such flux in our world and things are changing and more and more women are in control of financial affairs. The advice and insights that you shared today are going to go a long way for many of our listeners who might be struggling with some of these concerns. So thank you for shining a light on your experience. Thank you. What's your next money conversation going to be and who's it going to be with? Definitely with my husband. So we've been doing our estate planning. It was triggered last year. So we lost both of my husband's parents to the pandemic start of last year. And that was a wake up call for me because like I said, I was the entrepreneur sorting out all the estate planning for the family enterprise, but never did I think that the concept or the reality of mortality for myself and my husband was so far until then. I was like, you know, if anything should happen to us, what about our kids? And so we started doing it gradually. And now that we're settled in the US, we need to finish the US leg of it. So that will be the next money conversation. It's an ongoing conversation. It really is an ongoing conversation. And Nika, thank you for sharing that with us. I'm sure it'll be a successful conversation with your husband. 
Thanks for joining us on Money Tales today. Thank you, ladies. Sandy, Nika was such an interesting guest on Money Tales, wasn't she? I really enjoyed talking with her. Her story is one that a lot of people dream of, dreaming of wanting to be wealthy. And then it happened to her and took her by surprise. And I appreciated how she told us what her experience was like in such an authentic way. We work with many family businesses at Experient. What are some of the planning considerations? There are a lot of different considerations when families are in business together. I want to highlight three today. First, I want to talk about why having open, productive conversations, not only about money, but about the business and about the family is important. Second, why it's important for the family to have a plan about whether they want to keep the enterprise in the family or want to move on from the business in terms of planning for their future. And third, why it's important for family members to understand the business. First, having open conversations is really important. When families are in business together, they have many different relationships with one another as parents, as sibling, as grandparent, but they're also owners of a business. So that's a second layer of relationship. And a third layer may be for those members of the family who are involved in running the business. Your parent could also be your boss. That can be pretty tricky and challenging. Having clear and open lines of communication is really important and related to that. Being able to understand what relationship you're in with a family member at any particular point in time and what the boundaries are around that aspect of the relationship. Nika's parents exemplified what you're talking about when they were so open, being transparent with the wealth, and they showed her such trust by welcoming her ideas and her approach. I appreciate that she said they didn't accept all of them, but they were sharing. She understood. They talked about it. And then decisions were made. So she felt heard and empowered. The second planning consideration we'll talk about today is why it's important for the family to have a plan for the business. Some families will choose to keep the business within the family for generations and generations. Others plan to succeed the business to other owners and move on as a family without the business enterprise and understanding what the plan is and making sure that everyone is on the same page around that is really important because it helps people understand their roles. When a business remains in the family, there's a lot that goes into maintaining that business. The business needs leadership. Oftentimes when family businesses are created, the founding family members are the leaders of the business. Over time, if the business stays in the family for a long period, the family may decide to leave the leadership roles in the organization and hire people outside the family to run the business. Families in those situations need to understand how to help govern the business and take care of the business as an asset of the family, but not necessarily run it. If the business is not meant to stay in the family because the rising generation members of the family don't want to continue the business, the family will need to think about how they are going to get that business ready to be sold, what that process will look like and when that time period is. There's a lot that goes into this second planning idea, and that's why having open and strong communication skills can help a family out. And I would assume these are dynamic 
the plan might be one thing. And then as the rising generation gets to that working years that express interest in being in the business or not could actually impact the plan. That's right. And if we look at some statistics, about 40% of family businesses transition to the second generation of a family and about 13% pass down successfully to a third generation of the family. Only about 4% get passed down to the fourth generation. Keeping a business in a family can be challenging and isn't always desirable. The third planning consideration I want to touch on is the importance of understanding the business. If a family is owning a business together, it helps when all members of the family have a good idea of how the business runs, what its key drivers are, how it's creating value for its customers, the value that the company's management team has in making sure that the business continues to run successfully, whether that management team is comprised of family owners or not. Just like we talk about in money conversations, the more you know, the more confident you are and the better decisions you can make. The same ideas are transferable to knowledge of a family business. Thank you, Sandy, for sharing those three points. There are so many aspects that go into a productive family business and the planning around that. I know Nika would be a pro. This is all that she does. And I know very focused on the one generation and supporting the rising gen as they're coming into the business. Thank you again, Nika and Nani, for joining us on Money Tales. Thank you to our listeners. If the money conversation you heard today inspires you to continue your own money conversation or gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to our website at asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at Asperient.com. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales. Money Tales.